Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Audra Show. This is your host, Audra Laquadera, and this is episode number 45 of The Audra Show. Um, and the second episode that is coming to you from uh, the Denver, Colorado area. Today is July 22nd, 2016, and I'm particularly excited today because it is the opening of the AbFab movie. I don't know about you, but I loved <laughs> that show. And I actually had a Lyft passenger earlier today who saw a screening of it last night, and he said it was hysterical. And you know, if the gay men love it, that it's great. So I'm very excited to see that, hopefully soon. Uh, so my guest this week for episode 45 was a guy named Jeffrey Zucker. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Salt Shaker Holdings, which, uh, among other things, has a real estate development company, a film production company, and um, some companies that he's invested in. He is also the president of Green Lion Partners, whose um, really vision it is to not only elevate the public perception of cannabis, marijuana, uh, but also to create innovative and sustainable products that can help the industry become more productive and more efficient. So he told us about all of those companies, um, told us uh, some details about the uh, products that Green Lion Partners has created for the cannabis industry, some new ones that they're uh, working on, uh, some uh, organizations that they're partnering with for uh, cannabis advocacy and that sort of thing. And we had a um, great conversation about the industry itself, the stigmas surrounding working in the industry and also uh, partaking in <laughs> cannabis consumption and just the, the tons of opportunities that are um, going on in this burgeoning industry. So it was um, a really interesting conversation. I actually met him uh, through Lyft as well. I dropped him off at his friend's apartment to watch um, one of the games of the Stanley Cup finals. I'm not sure if it was the last game, but it was one of the games. Um, he's a huge Penguins fan, as he uh, mentioned. And um, so uh, then, so he was obviously very excited about the Stanley Cup. And we were chatting uh, during the ride and he ended up giving me his card um, and, uh, you know, said he might need some marketing consulting down the line. And then he left his laptop in my car. <laughs> so luckily I had his card and was able to call him back and return that. And um, in return, he gave me a very generous tip, I have to mention, <laughs> and uh, also agreed to come and be on the show. So hopefully uh, you will find that conversation as interesting and informative as I did. As I sit here recording this, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump is officially the Republican nominee for president, which still seems pretty surreal. Um, and Hillary is about to announce her VP pick any minute, literally. Um, I really hope it's Bernie Sanders. I don't think it's going to be, but God, that would be really the smart thing to do. 
What a crazy election. I mean, I've been kind of leaning Hillary the whole time. Uh, I didn't get to vote in the primaries because of my move. I missed both the California and the Colorado primary. Um, and I was leaning towards Hillary the whole time. I mean, I love what Bernie stands for. I actually heard him speak well, well the last year before he even started running, uh, the year before he started running. And I, you know, I agree with everything he stands for, but I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it with him for president and Hillary, you know, with the whole email thing. I mean, honestly, it really does seem like she is getting special treatment. The FBI is basically saying she did do stuff wrong, but they're not going to indict her. So who knows? I mean, I do think she's qualified to be president. I think she'd be a good president, but... Uh, you know, I'm not inspired by her, which is depressing since she's the first female <laughs> nominee in history. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, I just, she's just so part of the machine. She really is. And so I can see why that's attractive about <laughs> Donald Trump. I mean, I I agree. I, I like the fact that he speaks his mind. I think that's a great thing. You know, I just wish that much more of what he said was actually true. <laughs> um, you know, it is. It's frustrating that politicians just talk around issues and they never say what's really on their mind. They never speak the truth. And it, it's very refreshing. I mean, I haven't disagreed with everything he said, but I do think that he's completely unqualified <laughs> to be president. And I personally believe that he has no real interest in being president. I mean, he, I think he ran for his ego. And didn't, you know, like everyone didn't expect to get nearly this far. And, you know, doesn't have an out, although he has mentioned a couple of times. There was an article in the New York Times and another one um, in New York Magazine, I think, or Daily Intelligencer about um, how he's making statements about how he may not even run the country, how he may hand it over to the VP or he'll be president in name only. So... God only knows. It's crazy out there. I mean, to the point where I think I'm obviously not the only one who has thought about uh, maybe we need to look into Gary Johnson. Actually, I just saw something that said it's been like the most Googled terms are Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, the, the Green Party candidate. And now that I'm in Colorado, I mean, I'm in um, Jefferson County, which I heard is actually like seriously a bellwether county. So I went from my liberal bubble where my vote never counts to being in like a kind of a an important <laughs> county vote wise. Um, and I don't want to vote for a third party candidate and hand the election to Donald Trump. But I don't know, I'm kind of wishing I had campaigned more for Bernie at this point. Uh, I'm there's a secret part of me that does wish he takes over the Democratic convention and and gets the nominee. <laughs> nomination but it's not looking good but hopefully uh hillary will choose him and you know at least save us all from i don't know what something boring <laughs> she'll get his supporters she'll get his platform i mean i think it's the best thing to do so, uh, let's see. I don't think it has happened yet. I'm just looking online. No. But anyway, that's about it for my rant of the week. 
Yeah, we've got a long uh, few months ahead of us, and uh, it's going to be a crazy ride. <sighs> I do kind of wish Obama could uh, spend four more years in the White House, which is another thing. That was apparently term limits on the presidency. Not that Obama wants to run. I mean, I know Michelle Obama certainly doesn't seem to want <laughs> to continue being there. I mean, and it does seem like it's enough for anyone, but term limits were like revenge for FDR. So, I mean, technically speaking, really, if the people want Barack Obama, we should be able to vote for him. I mean, I don't think he wants to run, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. So enjoy this episode uh, with Jeffrey Zucker, episode number 45, and uh, follow along with The Audra Show on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at at Audra Show. Podbean is audrashow.podbean.com. There's also oddlack.com slash The Audra Show. So thank you again for listening. Any feedback is always welcome on any of those platforms. And uh, hopefully... We'll be chatting with you again real soon. Do, 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 do. Interlude music. Audra show theme song. You consider yourself a serial entrepreneur, I've read. <laughs> yes, uh, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Just uh, it's kind of been in my blood my whole life to try to start businesses and started from a young age, you know, starting off with lemonade stands <laughs> all the way to you know, founding the hockey team at my high school and raising the money to make it happen. And, um, you know, in college uh, is when I started my real estate development company and a property management company. And um, it sort of spiraled from there. I've had a restaurant for a time. I've have a currently have a film production company and a portfolio of angel investments and uh, advise a variety of startups. Oh, wow. So you just were, I mean, it was just like inbred (laughs) in you. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he unfortunately passed away in 2008, but he was okay. uh, he founded a, a large you know holdings company that did does manufacturing, entertainment, a variety of industries all over the country and basically I uh, or all over the world. And uh, it was just something I tried to absorb from a young age. Right. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be around for my whole life. So uh, it just kind of I ended up on that similar path. So tell me a little bit about the, the hockey team, starting a hockey team in, in high school. Yeah, so, you know, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. It's not, like, the biggest hockey <laughs> town in the world. Um, right. And uh, I started, you know, enjoying ice hockey at a young age. I uh, started playing on Sega Genesis. And, right. Um, and then I started playing roller hockey with my friends. And a minor league team, you know, came to town. And uh, that turned into me, you know, loving hockey. And, right. Uh, in South Carolina at the time, uh, there was a club hockey league with, you know, 10 teams in the state or so. And uh, I went to a very small high school and we didn't, we were not one of the 10 teams and right. um, the school wasn't too keen on it. You know, a school in the South, a small school in the South wasn't like very interested in the idea of ice hockey. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, you know, I worked for the first two years of high school trying to get them interested in the idea and I was able to play on another team because it was club. Right. Um, but it, beginning my junior year, uh, we had a new athletic director. Um, there were only two or three full-time hockey players in the school, but I was able to recruit, you know, enough players for a full team, right. like 15 or 20, and uh, uh, was able to gather used equipment for them. I was, you know, one of the few teams in the league that had sponsorships, and I, you know, raised a lot of sponsor money, 
um, and was able to get us on the ice with equipment and everything paid for, whereas everyone on the other teams was paying. And these guys weren't hockey players. They weren't going to pay. Right. So <laughs> I, I wanted the chance to represent my school and my favorite sport. And I got it for the last two years of high school, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was a ton of work. Like, looking back, it was kind of like a full-time job next to school because yeah. you know, I was the only student that was involved on the board for the league and that ran the finances of their team and whatnot. Oh, wow. And yeah, that's a big um, commitment. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was a really good learning experience. So, uh, ice hockey's always been one of my biggest passions. I'm a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan. They just won the cup this oh, year. Right. That's right. I think when I met you, I was dropping you off to watch the game, one of the games. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it must've been good luck. I, that might've been the game they won that night or they won the cup. Cause I know I was at my friend's house where you dropped me when they won. Oh, how funny. Um, well, congrats. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that they won. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, that ice hockey is one of the reasons I ended up going to Boston University because I wanted a school that had good business opportunities but also had quality ice hockey, and uh, BU has a great hockey team. So, uh, you know, I was able to play intramurals and able to be a big fan of the team, and they were, won the national championship in 09 while I was in school, which was oh, wow. very exciting. Yeah. So do you get to play at all today or – uh, I try to stay on the ice. Uh, it's been a few months, uh, but I'm actually hoping to play pickup hockey tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Oh, for nice. my first time on the ice in Denver. Oh, wow. Um, and hoping, you know, time permitting to join an adult league over the next few months. Yeah, that's great. So speaking of time permitting, I mean, you've been in Denver, what, just a couple of months? Yeah, about a month and a half now. So you came here to consolidate your business and, you know, tell us a little bit about that and how... Uh, Salt Shaker got started and Green Lion. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the move to Denver was for a variety of reasons. My, my holdings company, Salt Shaker Holdings, is what I started in college in 2009. Um, we do started off as real estate development and property management. Now we do real estate development. F uh, we have a film production company, um, and we also have a portfolio of angel investments and companies that we advise. And, you know, there was a team of four of us working remotely all over the country, you know, one in Boston, Chicago, New York, Charleston, and right. um, Denver was kind of a good opportunity for us to uh, all end up in one place. Uh, being involved via Green Lion Partners, which I can get into uh, in the cannabis industry, we thought Denver would be a really good opportunity, not to mention right. that Colorado is beautiful. <laughs> um, right. And uh, also it puts me a little bit closer than Chicago was to my film production company that's based out of L.A. And... Uh, an easy selling point was that uh, a bunch of my wife's best friends from college live here oh, in Denver. Okay. So yeah, uh, that definitely helps. Built-in friends, <laughs> and uh, so that was really exciting and win-win. Exactly, and so you know we moved uh, moved into Denver. We got our office set up. Uh, we hired another employee, so we're up. To our team's up to five, and um, you know they're separate companies. Salt Shaker is you know non-cannabis endeavors. Green Lion is uh, cannabis-related, but. Um, everyone in in the organizations has a dual job you know working for both organizations oh, okay. uh, so that we can collaborate on everything and really make things as successful as possible yeah I mean it seems like that might be difficult I mean there's such a, a broad array of, of industries <laughs> it is and uh, it's something that I was fortunate to watch my family handle growing up and you know a similar much larger scale but uh, a similar way and um, that kind of just showed me how to m find the right team and the right people so that you can manage operations from a, a high level and you have to find people that you believe in and that you can trust to you know operate the individual entities and I've been very fortunate to find great partners in each of my endeavors. So Green Lion is the cannabis related pr uh, 
products? Exactly. So my partner, Mike Bologna, and I started Green Lion Partners in January 2015. Okay. Uh, Mike and I both went to BU together, and uh, we'd always talked about working together, but, you know, we each went on our own separate paths after school. And, uh, you know, once we saw what was going on in Colorado with adult use being enacted, we were like, you know, this is an industry where we think we're really excited about, um, we're passionate about from, you know, not only being cannabis consumers, but also in the social reasons that cannabis is so great and that, right. you know, you're helping people get access to their medicine, helping people get out of jail that are in there for growing, you know, a, a, right. a plant that helps people. <laughs> right. um, and so the social justice aspect very much appealed to both of us. So, yeah. you know, really we just went to uh, an investment conference. We, we had pulled together some capital that we knew we wanted to use as kind of a learning vehicle um, to learning the cannabis industry. We wanted to be investors initially. Right. Um, so we came up with our brand, Green Lion Partners, uh, and we went to uh, an investment conference and started networking and meeting people. And, you know, that led us to m making a handful of equity investments and, in, you know, companies that we felt that we could help out but right. also learn from. Okay. And from there, uh, we really started to get to know the people in the industry, and we started to build a network of people that we felt could be the foundation of the industry and that really had the same vision and outlook and positive uh, reasons behind their work that we did. And so now we've, we've sort of evolved into over that time into a business strategy firm is what we call ourselves. And uh, we've had, you know, our, we had our investments initially, but now we are not really deploying any further capital into uh, third parties in the space. We're focused on the two companies that we've started okay. uh, and pushing those out this year. Um, one of which is Leaflist, which is a reputation management and networking site for the industry. Right. Um, you know, we s have had that in beta for a few months. We wanted to get a good base of users. And over the next three to six months, we have a plan to uh, revamp uh, the site, add some new features, and then we're going to do a kind of a wider industry rollout. So that's interesting to me. So, the, so that's been described as like a LinkedIn LinkedIn of we like to see cannabis. it as like a LinkedIn meets an Angie's list. Okay. Um, we don't want to be the LinkedIn of cannabis because we want people to be comfortable talking about cannabis. We want people to shout it from the rooftops. We want, right. you know, our LinkedIn say that we're cannabis entrepreneurs. Right. Um, we want people to be proud of it. So we see Leaflist as more of, you know, vetting partnerships for the industry, who you want to work with, who are the good people. Uh, every person and company has a rating on our site uh, based on our algorithm that takes into account uh, information on their profile, but as w well as who they're connected to, what organizations they're involved with. You know, for instance, if uh, you're someone that's involved with or donates to the DPA or the MPP or SSDP, um, that's going to be able to impact your rating. So, for instance, let's say, you know, you're, you're looking for an attorney and somebody just posts a weed leaf on their website. And now you can, you know, hopefully go find them on Leaflist and see, okay, this guy only has one leaf and he doesn't know anyone that I know. You know, maybe I should not go that way. Right. Or you could go on the site and be like, okay, this guy has four leaves, he's connected to these guys from Green Lion, he's connected to these guys from Arcview. We see Leaflist as a tool for the industry and not a revenue generator for us. There's no advertising or anything at this point. Oh, okay. Um, we see it just as a tool that the industry desperately needs and it's an industry that likes to connect and network. So uh, it's one that we're really excited to push forward on here. So why does the industry, I mean, this might be kind of an obvious question, but like why does the industry need that sort of reputation management? Um, I mean, is it just because of it being a criminal <laughs> enterprise for so many years and there's still people, you know, trying to do things unethically or? Uh, I would say that 
Um, part of it is that that we're switching from you know a an underground industry to um, you know above ground white market industry. Yeah. Um, and because of that, there's people that have been around for a long time, and some of those people had the best intentions all the time. Uh, while there's others that are just in it for the wrong reasons, in it to grab money or, yeah. um, you know, what have you. And uh, we feel that a site like Leafless is going to help people differentiate between those people and their motives. Um, and our hope is that, you know, with the network and the space, it's right now it's the cannabis industry is still a pretty tight community okay. um, at the higher levels and, you know, in terms of executives and whatnot like that. And it's a very tight-knit family sort of in the industry and everyone is uh everyone that's kind of on the same mission is sort of on a team and we feel like having a site like like leafless is going to allow the foundation to remain strong and uh with the right goals in mind if we're able to kind of curate that foundation yeah well it's great i'm sure that uh the industry appreciates it <laughs> especially if it is a, a tight-knit group at this point um, I mean, what about, like, I get a lot of people asking me if I've moved here because of marijuana and, like, being unhappy about that, if I have, you know, like, because of the industry, because of, you know, wanting to imbibe <laughs> or whatever it is. But do you, do you get any of that kind of pushback from people <laughs> now that you're here in Denver? We, we've definitely heard that, and we know that, you know, especially since the cannabis uh, legalization here, it's been... Uh, very rampant growth and obviously combined with the fact that it's a great place to live and uh, for the most part you know when we talk to people about that they're more upset with the people that are moving here and doing nothing and sitting on the street right. um, and for the most you know I think they appreciate that we're coming to add industry and jobs here but yes uh, being from Charleston South Carolina uh, it's been Charleston has been you know in the top five everything the last however many five ten years and was recently named the number one city in the world, I think, by Travel and Leisure. Oh, really? Um, and so over the last five-plus years, Charleston, my home, has gotten inundated with people. You know, yeah. The stat there is that 43 people are moving to Charleston a day. Oh, my God. And I, know, I don't know what the stat is here in Denver, but I know that it's more. I, I've, heard, I've heard different ones. I've heard anywhere from 50 to 1,500. So okay, wow. I have no idea. So there are a lot of people moving here. So it's yeah. something that you know my hometown is experiencing right now, and it's, it does sort of make me sad when I go there, and it's different, and it's more... Right. Uh, it, it's more full and congested, but you know, for people here, uh, I think that as much as difficult as the crowding can be, uh, I think it's important to embrace it because I don't think that it's going anywhere. Yeah. However, I do think that the end of prohibition in the U.S. and easing of regulations all over the country will lessen the people that are coming here specifically for cannabis. Obviously. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I, I did so. see. I unfortunately don't recall what outlet it was from, but I saw a great video. Um, kind of a, a you know a comedy video on Facebook recently about Denver and <laughs> it was people saying like it was being in locals being interviewed saying like begging other states to legalize <laughs> cannabis saying right. nothing's wrong with it it hasn't hurt us at all things are great here but we just want people to stop <laughs> moving here so. yeah, just please get out <laughs> exactly so uh, hopefully uh, you know we'll we'll become a good part of the community we're doing our best to be a contributing factor to the to yeah. Denver and to the economy here and uh, to the industry as a whole. So on that note, um, tell me a little bit more about kind of the social justice or you know activist things you're doing to enhance the reputation of cannabis and its users. Absolutely. So I mean, we think that the 
biggest goal, you know, for us really is to elevate the cannabis industry and help to improve the public perception with our business practices. So, you know, really the number one thing is education. We need, there's so much stigma in the U.S. just because of the way cannabis has been portrayed over the last, you know, however many decades. And, um, so we work in t- to educate people on the positives, not to try to necessarily just push against what they already think, but just show them the good things that cannabis can do. And we do that, you know, via social media. We educate and we uh, share content that shows the positives of cannabis. Right. Um, we are donors to the DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, the Marijuana Policy Project, um, and uh, we work with those companies to try to, hel- or excuse me, with those organizations to try to help in their endeavors as well. Um, this week we attended the Ricky Williams uh, Laurel Rosebud golf tournament that was actually uh, just outside of Denver okay. um, toward Boulder and um, it was uh, an event you know to help raise money to end cannabis prohibition and it, it went really well so you know overall what we're doing is just trying to get involved with the people that share our goals for the industry long term and do whatever we can to help push the movement forward so you know at this point in time in July of 2016 we've got you know, four months or less than four months now to the election, and we've got yeah. uh, potentially, you know, eight different states voting on some form of cannabis legalization. You know, we could see four or five uh, approve adult use in November. So, oh, what really? we're doing here is, you know, just encouraging those in the country, but especially in the cannabis community, to donate to these causes, to the MPP, to the DPA. Because this is going to be a very pivotal pivotal moment for our industry. Right. Um, so, you know, we're just trying to be uh, as vocal as we can to get people that support the cannabis industry out there. And, you know, this is the means to our end. If we want to be successful in this industry, then these organizations have to be successful in changing the laws. So it's the DPA and the MPP, you said? Those or are the two that we're mo- most active with. Uh, we also... Do a little bit with the SS, SSDP students for sensible drug policy. Okay. Um, so they do the the activism and trying to get the policies changed and that sort of thing. Do they do um, like community outreach programs or anything? They like do. That? So you know, I'll, I'll speak about MPP specifically, as it's probably one the one I'm most familiar with. And it was started in '96 uh, by Rob Campia, and he's he's still the executive director. And you know, he was pretty much the catalyst for changing for the medical marijuana laws in California um, and a variety of other states. And, and you know, they're, they're lobbyist firms. They they reach out to government officials and they reach out to constituents to help the cause and uh, they raise money and set budgets uh, to push these campaigns forward in hopes that they'll go through. That's great that you're partnering with uh, organizations like that. I mean, what do, you, what do you think is the biggest um, you know, barrier to legalization right now? I mean, forget about, like, I know policy and legislation and all that stuff probably, but you know, what's the message that people need to I mean, hear? I think in terms of the biggest barrier to things moving forward right now, uh, in terms of, like, the political landscape is... Pro. If you look at the polls, the majority of the U.S. is pro-cannabis legalization. Right. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest opponents are... I mean, stigma is the number one biggest <laughs> opponent, but yeah. it's it's people that are still spreading those messages that aren't rooted in fact, and it's uh, lobbying groups from the law, you know, like sheriff's departments and police departments and right. the like, as well as, you know, some pharmaceutical companies that are pushing against the industry because they're scared of it or whatever else, and I think that it's important for these 
people and for these organizations to realize what's coming and to embrace this industry because it can really help us in so many ways. I mean, right. what it's done for the Colorado economy in Oregon and Washington is just, it's setting an example and I think other states are starting to see that and they're starting right. to, to want to be part of this movement. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to uh, support this endeavor and make sure that it goes, you know, as positively as possible for everyone. Right. I think that makes sense. I mean, I, I think, in my opinion, it probably is like big pharma that is <laughs> the biggest uh, perpetrator of all the misinformation out there uh, through the years, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to speak, you know, to right. like, <laughs> I, I don't know factually, but from, you know, what people say, it's, it's mostly, uh, you get a decent amount of push from pharma and you also get the biggest push is from law enforcement just because of the number of, you know, arrests and jails that's going to cut down. And private prisons is a huge one, and that, is, to me, is uh, it's a sickening industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really is pretty terrible. So, I mean, the fact that you'd want to – I mean, we should be doing whatever we can to keep nonviolent offenders out of jail. I mean, Right. Right. I mean, I think pharma and, yeah, the private pr prison industry both have – basically the same agenda just to make more money and legalization of marijuana is going to cause them both to make less money exactly sadly enough um so and I, I know i was i was explaining green lion earlier oh uh yeah. there's definitely some more if you'd like to yeah, hear yeah that's what i was actually yeah, just so gonna go back to so you know we talked about leaflist and then our other company that we started is natural order supply we supply cultivators all over the country with soil lights nutrients and other supplies um, and we're just working on supply chain efficiency for large-scale cultivations. So if cultivators that want to improve their margins and improve their efficiencies, they can come to Natural Order and we can help, you know, quote what their supplies are and help come up with a schedule that's going to make things as efficient as possible. And we uh, are just finalizing some uh, software, uh, an open API that other cultivator-facing softwares are going to be able to tie into and uh, use us as a back-end ordering platform. So... Um, you know, we're really trying to bring kind of big industry data analytics and just business processes overall to the cannabis industry. Right. Um, there's the hurdle in that is that uh, a lot of people that have been in the industry and cultivating for many years have been trying to do it underground. They're like, you want to analyze data? You want to <laughs> see what I'm doing? You want to yeah. need to use software? And it's very confusing to them. But Unfortunately, just because of the nature of business, as this becomes a more open industry, the bigger companies are going to get in and big agriculture is going to get involved and you're going to have to be as efficient as they are. Or you're going to get cut out. So right. we're trying to help the best people make it there. Yeah, I would assume that's kind of a, a overwhelming for some people that have been doing it for so many years to have to make that kind of a switch. Any change, you know, people in general are opposed to change, but, you know, especially in this industry when you've got people that have been successful doing it the way they've do it, done it for so long, it's hard for them to foresee how much it's going to change. Did they, I mean, did they, do you get, like, pushback from them? Is there, like, a resentment over companies trying, I mean, you're obviously just coming in and trying to make things better and trying to, you know, in, in enhance the reputation of the whole industry, so I would hope not, but. For the most part, we're received very positively, and even if someone initially has an issue, I mean, Generally, we, we like people. We're good people. We like to talk. And, <laughs> right. you know, we're able to, to come to the same mindset and see that we're all in it for the same reasons, uh, that we really do kind of represent the essence of this industry and of the plant. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people that have been ingrained in it in a long time are 
uncomfortable with the fact that there's all these newcomers coming in and I right. I don't blame them but it's just it's inevitable unfortunately yeah. and so I you know people like Mike and I and Green Lion we'd like and you know companies like Arcview would like to set the precedent on how we can do this and make this great industry as successful and positive as possible for everyone. Right, and I mean, now is the time to, to be doing that. Get in early before it sort of explodes around the country and, you know, be set up and, and on your way. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're definitely trying to gain a foothold before it's available everywhere. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, we're helping others do that. You know, we've got a, a handful of companies that we advise. We advise, you know, early entrance to the space. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're helping startups get going in the right path. And, you know, we've, we know that we don't know a lot. There's a lot to learn in this industry. We haven't yeah. been in it that long. So we have been really adamant about finding fantastic partners and leading on, leaning on them and their experience when it makes sense and trying to help, you know, people that we work with utilize that experience as well. So what kind of, uh, so what does that really look like in terms of, you know, helping startups? I mean. So what we do is uh, we mentor a variety of startups and what that entails is, you know, if let's say they're, they're very often raising money, so we'll help improve their pitch, we'll help improve their business model and their financials, um, and that will turn into, you know, that helping improve their raise and, um, it can come into a variety of way. It can come a variety of ways. You know, we can help in specific areas. You know, if they need operations help and whatnot. Yeah. But you know, at this point, honestly, we're not really pushing those services too much because we have a lot on our plate, obviously. And right. uh, this year, we're super focused on Leaflist and Natural Order, um, and supporting you know some of the companies we've already invested in. But you know, it's kind of evolved organically, and you know, we we like talking to people in the industry and right. things that are exciting. So it's kind of evolved into helping out a lot of different uh, types of businesses. So just going back to natural order supply for a second, is that like an, uh, is there a warehouse? There is, right? Or is it just all online ordering? We, we do have a storefront. It's in Grand Junction, Colorado. Okay. And we've got a great grow store there. And that's kind of our home base of our operation. Um, we do have a, some warehouse space as well there, as well as uh, we lease some space in Denver and some other places. Okay. Um, and we can distribute across the country from there. Um, and we've got uh, great management there. And uh, Dan and Kate are our uh, <laughs> managers at Natural Order, and they are fantastic. And nice. um, they are incredible at, you know, managing orders, and lar especially at a large scale. And uh, they've got people that keep the store running as well. So it's a, it's a really kind of family environment at the store, and um, they're really into helping all types of gardeners. Oh, it's not just cannabis. Really. It's not. No, we're a we're a cultivation store and can supply for all types of cultivation. Um, and uh, if you go and check, if listeners are in the Grand Junction <laughs> area and go check out Natural Order Supply, it's a it's a really cool environment. We've got great people there. Do you have any other products in the pipeline for Green Lion? Um, so you know we do have a handful of things in the pipeline. Not anything that I can disclose at the moment, but. You know, we, we invest in and advise a variety of uh, softwares and, you know, especially cultivator facing. So an example of one of those is FlowHub. They're uh, ERP basically for the cannabis industry enterprise resource planning. And so they okay. do inventory management and POS for cannabis. And uh, they're in a variety of stores in, in uh, Colorado right now, including Native Roots. And right. um, so companies like that, they we really focus on that are kind of bridging the gap between where the industry used to be and where it needs to go. Um, and so we do, we work with a lot of those companies uh, on a daily basis. So, 
Um, right now, you know, our focus is on our two products and our just a handful of other things that we've got going on. But we do have a couple more products in, in the pipeline for this year. Well, it definitely sounds like you guys are keeping busy. Absolutely. It's <laughs> been uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's fun. You know, I never feel like I'm working. Um, it's really hard to differentiate when people say, like, work time versus home time. For <laughs> me, it's just all kind of runs together. It's just all my life, and it's all enjoyable and exciting, and I just I like doing the work, so. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, the dream, I would think, right? You just, it's all kind of blends together, and you just love what you're doing. And Yeah, I feel very fortunate to, to be in this position, and I hope that we can make the right decisions that will keep us in a similar position for uh, the long run. What about, like, celebrity sponsorships and celebrity products coming out? And, like, what are your thoughts on that in the, in the cannabis industry? Yeah, so we actually are involved in one of those. Okay. Um, we, I'm not sure if you've heard of Whoopi and Maya, but that's Whoopi Goldberg's cannabis company. And uh, one of the founders is a very close friend of ours, and we've been able to prov provide some business advisement as well as an investment with them. And, and that's specifically for menstrual pain, right? Exactly. Okay. So, yeah, Whoopi and Maya focuses on uh, helping alleviate women's menstrual pains. Awesome. Um, it's a line. We've got uh, cacao, um, raw cacao, so you can make it into hot chocolate. You can also make it into other oh, you wow. know, chocolate toppings. And uh, we have um, <laughs> tinctures. Well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, bath soaks. Um, it's really incredible. I know m my wife's tried them out and has really liked the products. And oh, yeah. I've had the, the hot cocoa, and it's delicious. Did it help with your cramping? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, honestly, we, we do have a specific target. And I mean, Whoopi especially is really keen on bringing, you know, comfort to women. It's something that right. cannabis has provided for her. Um, and she hates that people are barred from it anywhere and like something that can make them feel better. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's something that really fell in line with, uh, what we are interested in in terms of helping people. Yeah. And you know, there are a variety of celebrities, like you were saying, that are getting involved and, uh, Whoopi is definitely the right one for us, but you know, we're always open to working with other ones. And I know that right. Snoop Dogg and Seth Rogen are, you know, pretty oh, active yeah. and, <laughs> Wiz, um, I think Wiz Khalifa. Wiz Khalifa, yeah. So uh, I think that you're going to see more and more of that. And long term in this industry, I mean, the brands are what's going to win, I think. And yeah. I think that's kind of the consensus, uh, at least in our circles. Is So, you know, if you can really, if one of these celebrities ends up being able to create a really solid brand that people can rely on as being uh, consistent and as being high quality, I mean, it's going to have long lasting power. It just. I can't say that I can see all of the celebrities sticking around right. as the industry grows, and they're not one of the few anymore, but uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch who comes in, who's willing to stand up for cannabis, and when they're going to do it. And a really good example of this is uh, Ricky Williams recently has been you know, a huge, huge advocate for cannabis. He's gotten involved in the industry. We've spent uh, some time with him at the last two ArcView conferences and played in his tournament yesterday. And Okay. Um, you know, his... He wants to help heal people all over the world and right. um, using his kind of persona and his uh, celebrity to, to push cannabis forward. And it's something that, you know, people are pretty familiar with his story and how he uh, was, you know, suspended from the NFL multiple times for cannabis use. And yeah. uh, I can really respect the fact that he stood up for himself and, you know, decided that he needed cannabis for his life and for his health. And he wasn't right. going to uh, bend against that. And. Uh, I'm just really impressed with his advocacy. 
Yeah, I mean, I think things like that are really going to move the needle when you have people like in the NFL, which to me, as somebody who's not in the cannabis industry and obviously not involved in the NFL, you know, it's like it, it seems like a no brainer that people in the NFL would need or use cannabis and it would be helpful to them. I mean, it seems bizarre to me that it's that it's banned, uh, you know, in, in a in a place like that. But, um, and I think like with Whoopi, who is, you know, like a product like for menstrual pain is a good, a, a good entry for women who, you know, probably a, a lot of people who still think of marijuana in the same classification as heroin, obviously, since it is in that classification. Exactly. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things about Whoopi and Maya is that it's going to show, you know, just hopefully just the average women that cannabis can be so helpful right. and it really will open up their minds and hopefully you know, open up the minds of their friends. And I think that it's an incredible access point. Obviously women have a, you know, I feel like the status, something like 80% of the decision-making in a home or something. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm really excited to, you know, her product is going to appeal to a different audience and it's going to yeah. be a really cool introduction point to cannabis for them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because it's also not only is it a new, you know, a new use? It's a new way of using it. I mean, people, I don't think people realize that you can, like, take a bath or, exactly. you know, put it in your hot chocolate. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be smoked. And to me, somebody outside the industry, it seems like that kind of thing would do more uh, for the reputation of marijuana than, say, like, Snoop starting a brand because it's like, oh, okay, you know, people who sort of roll their eyes at stoners and marijuana users are going to just roll their eyes at Snoop getting into the right. business or Willie Nelson or you yeah. know, Bob Marley. And we purposely try to, you know, align ourselves with people that are more breaking the stigmas, and that's nothing against the Snoop Dogs of the world. It's just that, uh, you know, we, we want to not be typical, stereotypical uh, stoner culture is not what we right. represent. We want to show the world that cannabis is something for everyone in one way or another. I mean, there's so many different consumption methods. There's so many different strains that can do so many different things. And, yeah. you know, when we were talking about the NFL, for instance, uh, it cannabis has been incredible for pain management. I believe I read a stat within the last few days that 25% of uh, opiate use has gone down 25% in states where medical marijuana is legal. Oh, yeah, that's uh, huge. And it, it's really unbelievable. And uh, you know, I think a lot of that is we were talking about pharma earlier, and I'm sure they're a big part of this because <laughs> cannabis can be incredible in pain for pain management, and yeah. obviously that would see their profits decrease. Yeah, well, I believe that that's why it's illegal in the first place, but that's a whole other story. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think people just don't, um, you know, they, they don't realize, like, I, I mean, I feel like even on this show, like, I've talked about a little bit about, like, you know, weed versus alcohol and that kind of thing. To me, like, for a mainstream, just, uh, you know, American, it's not obviously weird or unusual or, or, you know, something that deserves stigma. If you come home from work and have a glass of wine, have a couple of beers, like, that's no big deal. You know, I don't think people think of marijuana is the same way and I think you know they they need to it's because it's not only is it similar to coming home and having a glass of wine it's actually healthier for you in a lot of ways emotionally physically mentally exactly um, honestly the whole alcohol thing is just like <laughs> it's almost it's mind-blowing and I try not to like overly be like weed should be controlled exactly like alcohol because they're so different yeah um but I agree I mean in terms of the negatives cannabis has 
so many fewer. And, you know, in terms of just how it affects people, yeah, I mean, it it makes no sense, really, that that alcohol would be legal and that cannabis wouldn't, especially in that cannabis does so many positive things. And, I mean, it's very hard to come up with many positives that alcohol has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would never say alcohol has made me more productive. Or <laughs> and and that's know. another thing with the stigma is they, people consider cannabis users, you know, stigma, stigmatized right. people, if you will, as uh, lazy and, yeah. uh, you know, that don't do a lot of work. But for me, you know, to, I'm happy to be completely transparent. I didn't start consuming cannabis until a little bit after college, and yeah. uh, it really transformed my business and me and opened up my mind to new perspectives that – I hadn't really thought of before, and since that time, my business has grown quite a bit, and right. uh, there are s- great strains <laughs> for focus and for creativity, and it's, uh, it's just such a dynamic uh, plant that, you right. know, I, I just want to help show the world that, and I want to help people break, you know, we were talking earlier about how people hate change, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a huge change in the world that cannabis is hopefully going to be mainstream, but uh, it's a change yeah. that, you know, we're hoping to help be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I I have felt like at times I've almost had to, like, come out as a stoner, you know, and I think people like Seth Rogen are doing that and, like, Bill Maher, who actively, you know, are obviously very successful people who actively talk about their marijuana use and, and you know, try and change the perception of it. But, I mean, I do feel like in some ways, I yeah, you, you sort of have to, like, come out <laughs> as a stoner. It, it is so true. I know uh, Greenflower Media... Uh, recently, a cannabis media site. They recently, or maybe it wasn't recently, but sometime within the last year, they had a, a social media campaign hashtag coming out green, and it was all yeah. about you know oh, people I that are involved in cannabis and people that are cannabis consumers. And right. like, I love that. You know, I want people to talk about it. Like you said, coming home from work and you know vaporizing or having an edible or even smoking a joint is. It's just why is that not okay relative to having a few beers? It's just you yeah. Know, yeah, and I mean, to have to, like, you know, make that comparison to people and, um, yeah, it's like I, I tell people that. I'm like, I think of it the same way you think of, like, a glass of wine, except I'm not going to be hungover and <laughs> I'm not, you know, doing something that's harming my body exactly. as much as, as you are, you know. But yep. it's just um, it's just what's acceptable. I mean, so hopefully – there will be sort of a, a normalization. I mean, I don't know how long <laughs> that's going to take, but do you think there'll be a time soon where people will just have pot out at parties and I re- will be fine? <laughs> I really do. I think it's going to be, you know, an evolution. And, you know, a big part of this, the thing about regulation and legalization is that cannabis is being used everywhere. So why not put it on a safe and regulated market? Why not make tax revenue from it? Right. And, you know, from the perspective of it normalizing and culture, uh, I think, you know, states like Colorado and California, it's going to happen sooner, but I do think it'll be everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, for it to really be part of the culture might take a few decades, but right. uh, I'm hoping for wide scale, like federally, you know, at least descheduling within the next five plus years. Yeah, I think that'll happen if soon. If not less. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually part of the Democratic platform now in 2016 to at least reschedule it. Yeah, I mean, rescheduling has been talked about a lot lately. And I know that the DA has been uh, supposed to come out with an announcement already and haven't, but I know there's some concern in the community that they're looking at moving it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, which would technically put things in control of the of uh, pharmacies. But, um, you know, I'm confident that the whatever that, however that comes down, I'm confident that we're not going to give 
all the keys to the kitchen to the, the pharmaceutical companies. So yeah, and aren't there some like banking issues and things like that? Like what it do I don't know. If so you people get into sometimes that, ask like, what's the number one problem in the, the cannabis industry? Or, you know, in my kind of stupid like positive <laughs> answers like there's too many opportunities and I've <laughs> got to choose between them but you know like really the biggest business hurdle is banking yeah um, and you know there have been all sorts of memos and whatnot trying to convince banks that it's okay and banks are slowly coming more and more on I mean if I had to guesstimate I would say around a thousand banks in in the US uh, bank cannabis and um, but they're doing it quietly and the big banks are not really doing it you know the the okay. larger banks of the world are very s scared of it because there's risk involved. And obviously, you know, the cannabis plan is still federally illegal, unfortunately. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a very big gray area, especially for companies. <laughs> it's a big gray area, especially for companies that don't touch the plant like us. Um, you know, our, like our investment to Whoopi and Mai is into a management company, so we still don't technically don't touch the plant there. But, right. you know, in terms of ancillary businesses, software companies, they're having trouble banking. And, you know, the argument is that they're aiding and abetting, you know, illegal activity. But, you know, we're creating this great industry that's creating jobs and creating tax revenue. Right. So to make lives harder for no reason for everyone is just asinine. And I think that uh, once banks do open up, it's going to make it a lot easier. But... I think that that being one of the hurdles for the people that have the risk tolerance to get in now just makes that hurdle higher and gives them more opportunities. So I think, you know, a positive outlook on it from people that are in it now's perspective is that it just makes being part of our group a little bit harder right now and gives us some time to uh, get more done before more people jump in. Oh, well, that's a good, that's a good perspective on it. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Uh you know, I know there's been talk about like synthetic cannabis and things like that. I mean, is that just based on like for research or? It's not something that I'm too familiar with, but okay. um, in terms of, you know, experience with synthetic cannabis, all I've ever heard is that it's terrible. Why would you create synthetic when you've got this beautiful natural plant? <laughs> right. It's like trying to get chemicals. Exactly. It's like back to natural. chemicals and that's what we're trying to get rid of. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for the most part, that's that's seen as a negative and, you know, hopefully it'll stay that way. But I do think that you know, making this product more available and having cannabis uh, descheduled is, is going to allow for much further research. We're going to be able to find things that this plant does that we never have even thought of. Right. Um, you know, and there's a lot of scientists that are already full-time researching cannabis and the endocannabinoid system that humans have that, you know, kind of works together. And yeah. uh, I think that as we see this thing open up, there's just going to be, people are going to be astounded that it was ever illegal. And I think that right. if the cannabis plant didn't get you high if it wasn't for thc this would probably just be a pharmaceutical ingredient that gets used all the time right you know yeah. that's the, that's the crazy part is like that's why so many people love it that's why it's such a big deal is because of the feelings and the mentality that it gives you but really the medicinal benefits are probably the most important aspect of it yeah i remember at one of the dispensaries in san francisco reading their brochure and it said if if cannabis was was discovered today it would be hailed as like a medical panacea <laughs> I've seen that as well, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it, we we ha have that talk at conferences all the time when we're preaching to the choir, and we're just like, yeah, oh, if they scientists found this today in the jungle, they would be so excited; <laughs> it'd be the biggest news and right. forever. So, I there's some exciting new research with Alzheimer's, right? And that it might reverse the effects of Alzheimer's. Or I've seen some of that. I don't I don't like to speak too much to yeah. the research of you know that could potentially be unfounded, mm -hmm. but I mean, I've right. definitely seen effects in. Alzheimer's and obviously with epilepsy, obviously with cancer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just from 
some scientists that I've met with uh, here and abroad, uh, they think that it could have tremendous impact on all sorts of neurological disorders. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the just seeing that vision, you know, my my goal in business and in life is to help improve the world. My late father's, you know, his mantra was takun olam, which is repair the world in Hebrew. Okay. And, uh, you know, I've been on my path and growing my businesses, trying to figure out how I'm getting there. And the cannabis industry has really shown me that it can provide that. I can help to improve the world via giving more people access to this plant and its medicinal benefits. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that you are helping to improve the world. Um, so, so what about uh, some of your other businesses? We haven't really talked too much about your non-cannabis businesses. Um, so the film production company is one Yeah, of them? so my film production company is called Big Smith's Entertainment. Okay. It's uh, one of my business partners, uh, best friends, is who it's named after who passed away a few years ago. Uh, Smitty was his nickname. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, we're making the best of it, and we're going to hopefully have uh, some great productions that are in his honor. Yeah. Um, so we're focused on comedic web series and TV shows right now um, on – for we're doing third-party productions as well on the side, so we can be hired to do commercials and uh, to do events. That we've done stuff like that. Okay. Um, but uh, we're we've d filmed one pilot so far, which I can't unfortunately can't get into details yet at the moment. But right. we're in negotiations for that to hopefully end up on a network uh, that people have heard of. And uh, we've got over 20 projects in various stages of development. Oh, wow. Um, there's, I have three partners in it, uh, two are actors and writers that have been involved in the industry for, uh, you know, 12-plus years, uh, Jeff Howard and B.J. Bales. And then our other partner, uh, Eric McIver, owns um, a company called Division Camera. So uh, we're able to get, you know, high-quality uh, production, um, and uh, we're able to do it at competitive prices. And... Uh, you know, overall, the, the four of us really share in the creative aspects of the work, and we all have a similar mindset in terms of the type of comedy we like and yeah. uh, the types of cinematography that we appreciate and just cinema in general. And right. I'm a novice, and they're kind of, you know, I'm someone that's been watching TV and <laughs> movies forever, and I love it, yeah. and I analyze it. But, you know, going in with these three guys that are super into the industry and integrated has been an incredible learning experience for me. It's been a little a year, year and a half since we started. Okay. Um, and I've learned an incredible amount um, from these guys. And, yeah, I bet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. I love my team. Like I was saying, I've got great partners in all my endeavors. And um, this is just – it's been really exciting. You know, one of my kind of bucket list goals, if you will, was to produce a TV show and to create a TV show. And yeah. uh, I wanted to do it at some point in my life, but I, I didn't know I would be doing it at 28. But I'm, I'm very uh, humbled and excited by it. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, so fun, especially, you know, if it is has been a life goal. And it's great that, you know, these days there's so many different avenues, you know, like online, there's so many different kinds of things you can do. And so many people buying content, so many networks, Netflix, Amazon, you know, right. Hulu, and not to mention all the TV networks. So Yeah, exactly. There's so much space for original content, which is great. I mean, if you look at even like Cartoon Network, is it, that does like Adult Swim, yep. little 15-minute <laughs> segments stuff like that yeah I mean there's an incredible number of opportunities and you'll see like some of the shows that are popular have been uh have been found by YouTube or you know just having right. their own web series online and like Broad City right? Broad City Workaholics both of those uh, oh, similar yeah. shows too and uh, we've got s some uh, s similar type of humor stuff in our in the works uh, oh, as, nice. as those types of guys and I love both of those shows awesome so, so yeah <laughs> yeah we're definitely working on similar types of things to that and 
uh, you know, just uh, sort of some raunchy comedy, but some right. less than raunchy comedy <laughs> as well. And, uh, you know, it's an industry that I'm really trying to learn, but it's, it's frustrating for me because I like to work on honesty, integrity, and, you know, just simple and straightforward. And this industry <laughs> is full of egos and right. full of people you have to please. And, like, you know, we've been selling this, uh, working on pushing out this pilot, and it's just amazing to me the number of hoops you have to jump through. I'm like, why can't I just go <laughs> to this top guy over here and just have right. a good chat with him? But it's just... If you don't go there, then this person's going to be upset. And if you don't, oh boy. so you know, I, I try to look at one of you know I want the ten one of the tenets of you know my company Salt Shaker is to try to change, uh, to bring a new flavor to the industry, if you will, to to the industries that we work in, and right. to try to change the way that they transact. And I think that uh, the film industry would be is going to be one of our biggest challenges. But <laughs> yeah, sounds uh, like it. We're going to long term. We'd like to try to you know publish as much of our own stuff as we can eventually. Uh, when we have enough content and we have the outlets to do so, right. um, just to keep as few people involved as possible and so that we can avoid the egos. And I just, you know, it's great when you can just have everybody on the same page. It's not easy, but it's something that I strive for. Yeah, it certainly makes life a lot easier when you don't have to do that. But, like, I mean, in terms of publishing your own content, I mean, is that something that people can just do on YouTube? I mean, they can, but uh, it's for, uh, for, for a us. professional organization, I mean. Yeah, like for, from our perspective, you know, we could make a website and put all our stuff on it, but yeah. um, we would prefer to, you know, gain traction and have a following and, yeah. you know, at that point, you know, it's just, it's an idea, but at that point potentially establish our own, our own home for that kind of stuff. And, right. you know, who knows what that turns into long-term if it turns into anything, but uh, we're not going to just release it, you know, on, like, a consumer site at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess there would, you know, that wouldn't be very professional. Right. But <laughs> it is a good way to get things out there. We just, I'm lucky enough to be working with people that are already ingrained in the industry. So right. they, we have people we can go to and talk to in management as opposed to, like, trying to be discovered. Right. You know, my partners have, you know, they haven't had major roles, but they've been in, you know, guest stars and commercials and, you know, they've okay. been in workaholics and always sunny and oh, yeah. um, just you know small guest star roles two broke girls happy endings like a variety of shows and yeah um it's it's kind of a cool uh perspective people usually you know they think about the stars in the industry but they don't so much think about the people that are just grinding trying to make it work right and that's these guys <laughs> and that's day. some of the stories that we're going to tell is about or about you know that type of experience oh yeah that would definitely be interesting um, and what was the other business, a uh, real estate development, you said? Yes, so we do real estate development. Um, that all started in college. One of my best friends and business partners, uh, Alex Hodera, started, uh, he got his real estate um, agent license uh, our freshman year of college. Okay. He says it was to impress a girl who's now his wife. <laughs> um, I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that turned into him working for other companies for two years. And then his, our junior year, he started his own brokerage. Uh, at the time, was called the first uh, completely student-owned and operated real estate brokerage. Yeah, wow. And that he and I had always talked about investments and real estate deals, and um, we found an opportunity for a building kind of near our campus that we thought, you know, th the numbers looked great. Um, we thought it would it'd make a lot of sense, so we kind of uh, were able to find a down payment from family and friends and uh, turned that into our first investment deal, and this was a it was a two-unit building. It was huge. It was seven bedrooms in each. And oh, wow. 
uh, at the time, we, were, we didn't really know what we were getting into. It was used as a frat house. Uh-huh. And my thinking was, oh, if I take care of this frat house and I fix it up and blah, 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 these guys are really going to appreciate it and they'll take <laughs> care of it back. But it turns out college kids <laughs> don't generally think like that. Yeah. Um, so it was a headache, but we had that property for six profitable years and recently sold it. Wow. Um, so that went well. And so for the most part, our model now is we buy two to seven unit buildings, uh, fix them up. And then, uh, you know, rent them out and uh, in good areas. You know, most of our properties are in Boston. I've got a couple in Chicago as well. Yeah. And may start looking a little bit in Denver. But yeah, I was just going to ask. That's a pretty hot market. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that we try to do with our brands overall is allow people that are, you know, there's so many rising rent prices in places like Boston and Chicago. We're trying to provide high quality places that people can afford. Um, Wow. That's great places on the outskirts of, you know, maybe, you know, we're like in Charlestown, Mass., which is right outside of Boston, but, you know, it's not in the city, so people are still, w- if right. you're willing to live there, you can get a great place from us. Right, right. Um, and it's a great, it's a great town to live in, and um, this has sort of evolved into, a- Alex, who I was mentioning, is uh, now starting a new company called Colivo, um, and it's a co-living brand, basically, like, kind of like adult-style dormitories. And oh, yeah. That's you know, big people always is. say, like, college is so easy to meet people. And <laughs> right. so this is for people maybe moving to a new city or a new state that, you know, really want a nice place, but they can't afford a nice one bed. So instead, they're in a four bed where, with a common area. And right. they have all sorts of amenities that come with it. And, um, you know, they've rec- I'm uh, the lead investor in the project, and, they're, uh, and we advise them as well. And uh, okay. recently, you know, they've, they've opened uh, – they've actually been doing this model – Alex has in Boston for a few years and it's worked out really well but now he's sort of uh, kind of putting it into one brand and really you know taking it to the next level right. and uh, you know they, they started out in Jersey City right now but hope to be you know nationwide and um, come I think uh, September we're looking at uh, really expanding a lot so there's oh a wow. lot more to come with that one and you know I'm really excited for that because it, it really does make a great living space affordable in these cities that are just starting to you know overflow. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend of mine about that, uh, like co-housing as a trend. I know in San Francisco they do um, something similar. They call like hacker hotels mm-hmm. where everybody just rents a room or even just a bed and, you know, of course still pays an extraordinarily crazy amount of money for that. Um, but, yeah, have a sh- shared common space and stuff like that. And, I mean, I can see how that would work well with tech companies where people are working around the clock all the time. Anyway, so might as well cohabitate with the people you work with absolutely and i think this could provide you know with a brand like this that we're hopefully gonna have nationwide it could provide the opportunity to try living somewhere else for a few months and if you don't like you can go back to the other one yeah it makes it so easy so so so, i mean are they um building those kinds of units or are they just finding big houses and Uh, it's actually a variety you know we've uh just did some new construction for the first you know five buildings or so and uh We've got 10 more that are going to be new construction, um, but we're also, you know, the ones that we've done in Boston are, uh, you know, existing properties that we've just fixed up and uh, kind of turned into this model. And I, th- I think that we're going to be going, you know, around the country searching for the right types of buildings. And, right. you know, just I'm, a, I'm an investor. I can't speak fully for the company. You know, I'd rather Alex go into further detail in terms of how they target these places. But right. uh, he has a, a vision that I very much believe in for, you know, the growth of the company. And it's a brand that, uh, you know, I'm really uh, looking forward to being a part of. Yeah. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense these days with everything becoming, you know, so unaffordable and obviously with the rise of, like, Airbnb and people are getting more used to, you know, 
living among strangers or doing stuff like that. I mean, it's and especially you know with all the kind of sharing economy with the Ubers right. and Lyfts and yeah, all of the different sharing things that that has spun off. I think people are getting more comfortable with it, and it's kind of speaks back a little to what we we're talking about in cannabis to an extent, and that normalizing cannabis is going to be an effort. And I think mm-hmm. like I remember when Uber X first came out, right. and it's like. I'm getting in a car with a stranger? That seems so weird, but now it's like second nature. Right. But I very s- strongly recall at the time, you know, probably only, what, four plus years ago, five years ago, that I was like, you know, living in Chicago at the time, we got to be the beta testers for it seemed like every app, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. You were in San Francisco, so you probably got more, but. We did uh, a lot, yeah. Yeah, you probably got all of them, and we got, you know, 70% of them, but I just remember thinking of how crazy that was, and yeah. now, like, everyone is totally into it. Right, so. it's like, are we really going to do this? So I'm hopeful that, we can see similar type of change in cannabis and for co-living spaces. And right. I just think it's really important for people to stay as open-minded as, as possible as kind of the world and the economy evolves because, you know, as right. we go into, uh, as we go into, you know, people centering around urban spaces and as we go into having more artificial intelligence running things, people are going to have, things are going to have to change. Like lives are going to have to be different. Right. And people are just going to need to be open to this, this evolution. And, uh, you know, I think yeah, that I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's coming along. There was like a meme on the Internet last week, something about how, you know, we would never you know, in the past. You would never like summon a stranger on the Internet and get in their car. And right. now that's like literally what we do every day. Or it, I, I, I didn't. Uh, it was something. I remember seeing lines. something similar. I feel we probably follow all the same stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So now it's going to be the same thing with moving into somebody's house right yeah exactly <laughs> i mean and that's kind of how it's been with airbnb it's like right. go stay to strangers and i mean i have friends that you know I, when i've rented airbnbs it's usually been like the whole space or whatever the whole unit but i mean right. i have friends that rent out their living room you know on a weekly yeah. basis and it, i mean it's, it's not for me but it's a good way for them to make some extra cash yeah I and mean, if people are not? comfortable with it you know, it's not, you know everyone knows going in what they're getting into so um right it's pretty cool all right. Well, I think we've covered a lot. Yeah, definitely. I've enjoyed uh, chatting. Yeah. Uh, is there any anything else you want to promote? I mean, I'm always I'm always open to to talking to people that are interested in getting involved in cannabis advocacy and getting involved in the industry and you know my the other industries that I'm involved in and startups in general. I'm happy to speak with people. My time is is limited, but you know I try to try to spread it out uh, as much as I can. So. All right. Well, hopefully you can uh, use some of that time and get to know Colorado, go exploring a little bit soon. Yeah, <laughs> love that. Really looking forward to, to getting outdoors with my wife and our dog and yeah. checking things out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, once again, it's Jeffrey Zucker of Green Lion Partners, or I'm sorry, of Salt Shaker Holdings. Green Lion Partners, Salt Shaker <laughs> Holdings, both. Both of those things. <laughs> um All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're really busy. And um, thank you all for listening to The Audra Show. And we will hopefully be chatting with you soon.